What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, I'm free falling. I'm Joe McCormick. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And our host, Jonathan Strickland, is not with us this week. He is across the ocean in a strange land. Uh, Ireland, in fact. So, not totally strange. What's he doing there? I guess not drinking Guinness. No. Vacationing, taking in the sights. Catching some rays yeah. in Ireland. <laughs> Yes, probably. Okay, well, best of luck to him with whatever he's doing over there. But today, Lauren and I thought we would talk to you about artificial gravity. Yeah, uh, we are traveling into space where you can also get a pretty wicked tan. Um, so. <laughs> so what happens when you go into space? Let's say you're a stowaway in a supply capsule that's flying up to the International Space Station. And you get out of your hiding place, much to the annoyance of the astronauts around you. Yeah, they're going to be really mad at you, I think, is the immediate effect of yeah. being in space in that case. I guess especially if they didn't calculate your weight into the fuel costs and, and you probably cost like a million dollars. 
unless you're very, very thin. <laughs> and then you, you go over, you float over to the window. Wait a second. Why are you floating? You, because that's what you do in space. You float. Oh, right. Because there's no gravity in space. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, no, that is incorrect entirely. A common myth is that there's no gravity in space, but the fact is there's plenty of gravity in space. Uh, at 250 miles above Earth, which is a sort of average flight altitude for the International Space Station, less than 2% of the distance to the moon, we still feel about 88.8% of the Earth's gravity. So... If that's true, why are the astronauts floating around in the capsule? Okay, they're technically not floating. They are falling. That's right. Well, I guess they are floating, but it's not because there's no gravity. Right. You're exactly right. It's because they're falling. So it's pretty much the same phenomenon as if you were to take the ISS and, and tow it with an airplane up to jet cruising altitude and then just drop everyone straight down toward Earth. And on its way toward the ground, everybody and everything inside the capsule would float around. Uh, Because the vehicle and everything in it is falling at the same speed, there's no force to hold you to the floor. Mm -hmm. You're you're in what's called free fall. Right. And so everything feels like zero gravity because you're in free fall, and we call this situation microgravity. So why doesn't the ISS just hit the ground when it's flying around the Earth? Well, that's because it's not falling in a straight line toward the Earth's center of mass the way you would if you fell out of an airplane. Mm-hmm, right. Uh, orbit is actually falling with style. It's, it's falling <laughs> in, in a circle around yeah. a big thing. Freestyle falling. Yeah. So cool. It's like you, you get to fall forever and never hit the ground. It's the best of both worlds. It's floating, the, the Superman power of flight, mm-hmm. uh, no, no injury from impact. Let's just have a yabba dabba do time, right? Uh, no. No? What's wrong with floating? Everything. It, it's not good at all for your body. Yeah, isn't that a bummer? So floating, it looks really cool when you see Chris Hadfield making the videos from space and everybody's floating around. It, I mean, number one, it's kind of hilarious for some reasons we'll point out in a minute, but it looks awesome. Oh, sure. And well, and it's fascinating and it's something that we never get to do here on Earth. So there's there's a novelty to it. Right. Unless you ride in the uh, the vomit comet, which right. would, uh, a parabolic flight in an airplane can simulate microgravity for a sure. moment. But if you're just taking a, a parabolic flight, like in the vomit comet, it only lasts a few seconds. And that's pretty much OK. But it turns out. Yeah, if you stay in microgravity conditions for a long period of time, it's really bad for your body. Just one of the things, and one of the main things, is you have bone density loss. Uh, right. And, okay, both both the bone and muscle components of what's bad about microgravity have to do with the fact that even, even just walking around on the surface of our planet, you know... Uh, Continually having to counteract the the force of Earth's gravity on your body does a lot to keep your bones and muscles healthy by by strengthening them, by making them work. Yeah, well, so you might think of your bones as something just kind of like rocks, but they're actually not like rocks. They're not static. Right. They're living, growing things. Yeah. So they have metabolic interaction with your body. and, And if you don't put stress on them, they can weaken over time. So even if you don't get a whole lot of vigorous exercise and you're not an athlete, you're still doing a whole lot of work just walking around your house because you've got this amazing force pushing down on you all the time and you have to push back against the surface of the earth. Now, in space, you don't have the stress of constant force pushing you down against a floor or surface, whatever it is. So in other words, it's too easy. 
In microgravity, astronauts tend to lose about 1% to 2% of their bone mass every month. Oof. And according to the ESA, the European Space Agency, there are records of up to 20% bone mass loss after a six-month mission. And that's scary. Uh, this is especially hard on the weight-bearing bones, the lower body, as you can imagine, because they're doing a lot of the work that normally happens when you're on the surface of the Earth. Uh, of course, there's muscle loss, too. Astronauts spend a lot of time on the space station exercising just to stave off the effects of bone and muscle loss, but that's not enough. There was a Journal of Physiology report in 2010 called Prolonged Spaceflight-Induced Alterations in the Structure and Function of Human Skeletal Muscle Fibers. And they found basically that prolonged weightlessness would contribute to substantial muscle loss in the body, and that even the exercise regimens that were in place at the time were not doing enough to hold off the muscle loss. So muscle atrophy was still happening, even though you've got people spending tons of time mm -hmm. with resistance training and on the treadmill. Uh, sure, which means that when they get back to Earth, they have to really work up to being healthy again, uh, healthy enough to to not damage their bones from a fall or, or you know, to be able to do the same amount of, of work that they previously were. Yeah. Uh, one of, uh, a quote from their abstract is, our results highlight the need to study new exercise programs on the ISS that employ high resistance and contractions over a wide range of motion to mimic the range occurring in Earth's 1G environment. 1G, we'll use that term again, that's just one amount of Earth's gravity. Right. And that's that's not all, folks. It's uh, not even the creepiest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what would you say is the creepiest? I would say probably fluid redistribution. Flu, flu, that doesn't sound good at all. No. So when you enter a microgravity environment, pretty quickly your body undergoes fluid redistribution, where body fluids are concentrated in the upper body. So you can see a big inflated chest and neck and a puffy face. Uh, some astronauts apparently report sinus problems and feeling like they have a cold or sinus infection. Huh. Uh, eventually, the microgravity causes the body to think that there's too much blood in it. So then it triggers you to pee a lot, which leads to a fluid deficit. Oh. And so it's just it's it's not good for you. Yeah. Um, there's there's also space sickness. Am I right? Right. This is a, a less uh I guess probably less detrimental to your permanent health. Mm -hmm, but unpleasant but, at the time. Um, and it has to do with the inner ear. Am I correct? Yeah, it's kind of like air sickness or any other. Th I mean, it's caused by an imbalance of fluids in the inner ear. And you can have nausea, dizziness. Uh, it's referred to as space adaptation syndrome. There are actually lots of funny stories about how different people have experienced it while adapting to space. But I'm sure it's not funny at the time. Oh, and especially yeah. when you're if talking... you've ever been right seasick yeah. or whatever, it's not not good. No, Car no, sick. no. Yeah, it's very unpleasant. And you can imagine how it's a much bigger deal when you're talking about somebody in space. I mean, this is somebody who needs to be using their time very efficiently mm -hmm. because of how expensive and dangerous what they're doing is. Oh, right. Uh, so it's not just like being seasick on a on a cruise, which is a bummer, but you're not. Losing but essentially not of dollars detrimental to you and your country. Yeah. Exactly. But even if you overlook all of these major health concerns, because they might come up with, say, better ways of exercise on the space station that can really, really do a good job holding off the muscle and bone loss. Mm -hmm. and, or some uh, kind of super Dramamine to, yeah. to 
calm down your inner ear receptors. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There, there are drugs maybe that might help with fluid redistribution or uh, just maybe some kind of physical exercise you could do that could help with that. Uh, there are lots of things we can learn. Even if we imagine that we eliminate all of those medical problems, there are still just major problems with lifestyle in zero gravity. Oh, right. Because, I mean, the way that we eat food here on Earth is dependent upon that food being exposed to gravity. <laughs> exactly. Um, why, why can't we have crumb cake in space? <laughs> because you don't you don't want the crumbs getting into the instruments. Right. Or your face. I mean, or the rest of your face. I mean, you want them in your face, well, clearly. But yeah, you want them in your mouth. Mostly in your mouth. Not in your eyes. <laughs> but on the space station, it's going to be harder to keep them from getting in your eyes. Actually, do you know Do you know what would happen if you tried to put salt and pepper on your food in microgravity? Oh, I had never thought about that before, but that's terrible. Like, I don't want salt or pepper in my ears. Yeah, you'd, you'd fail. So you get clouds of salt and pepper everywhere, and they get in your eyes, and they'd get in the instruments. <laughs> and then the insectoid invaders would see that the ISS alien sentinel post is not being manned and they'd mount their invasion there you go it all because of pepper so instead this is actually true i've seen pictures of it astronauts on the iss have literally had droppers for salt and pepper so i guess salt water and pepper, pepper water water but, yeah uh, to to deposit a droplet that will cling to your food and not float away well, I mean, that's that's a, that's a genius <laughs> idea, and I'm glad that they can season things properly in space, mm -hmm. if even from a dropper. Um, well, I mean, the, and the foods that they have to deal with to begin with. Are, oh, sure. They're sort of designed to be in bite-sized pieces and to have such a consistency that they don't easily crumble or have little parts that come off. Oh, right. Sure, sure. Like if you were going to eat an apple in space, you wouldn't just crunch down on an apple. It would have been prepared in little apple cubes for you so that you can just pop one in your mouth. And not have to uh, bite stuff off. Right. Yeah. Um, so they're sleeping. That's a funny one. You have to sleep in these hilarious bags. <laughs> kind, kind of like a like a space hammock, except much more embarrassing. Yeah. Um, actually, they're kind of cute. I, I think it's funny. <laughs> I, I saw a, a video from the ISS of uh, one guy showing off his bag and it's just stuck to the wall. And it's like, this is where I sleep. And I don't know. It felt like somebody showing me like like pulling out a drawer from their dresser. Like, this is where I sleep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And the, the big issue that I'm sure that everyone is thinking about right now in terms of life functions, how, how do you use the bathroom in space? Yeah, going to the bathroom in microgravity. Just pause for a moment and consider it. I, I actually don't want to consider it all that all that hard. Um, I mean, I mean, classically, this was basically just a diaper situation, right? Yeah, you could have a diaper or uh, so there's actually a, a great guest blog post on Gizmodo by the astronaut Leroy Chow about space toilet behavior. Um, and he talks about how bathroom activities yeah, used to mean you'd, you'd wear a diaper or you'd go into a sealable bag. And so it was a clear bag and you really didn't have any privacy while you were using it and that sounds fun <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, a really good way to get really close to your co-workers right yeah apparently with the advent of the shuttle program we finally got some bathroom accommodations and so the uh, international space station has a toilet but in a very loose definition of the word toilet so in the absence of gravity how are you going to get everything where it needs Into to the go place where, mm -hmm. so the toilet uses quote airflow to direct waste to its intended destination. And to me, that sounds like a somewhat euphemistic way of saying that you poop into a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> uh, man, space is so sexy, you guys. This... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, fortunately, according to Leroy Chow, there's a funnel at the end. <laughs> so apparently they work pretty well, but Sil- sometimes sometimes accidents happen and <laughs> and people make a mess and then they have to clean it up. You can already see why the idea of artificial gravity is very appealing. Oh, right, right. Oh, okay, but but there's there's also some more perhaps I mean, not that using the bathroom in space is not a serious problem. That's a that's a daily thing that everyone has to do, and it's a definitely a major concern. But but what about something even even more concerning? Like like what if you needed surgery in space? What if something happened? Oh yeah, actually, just earlier this year there were reports that a Nebraska-based company called Virtual Incision was coming up with a single incision surgical robot that was specifically designed for emergency surgeries during spaceflight. So it would be remote operated by another member of the crew. And it would enter the body through a single hole. And one of the purposes of this model is to require as little opening of the skin as possible, because as you can imagine, it really wouldn't be a good idea to have fluids from inside you soaring out into the cabin through a large open incision. Uh, certainly not. Also, as we all learned from Event Horizon, it gets really messy when globules of blood are just flying everywhere. Yep, and we have learned a lot from Event Horizon. We truly have. (laughs) If you haven't heard it, please go listen to the Tech Stuff episode about the technology of Event Horizon. Uh, One more thing, a little more future-focused, or hopefully future-focused, and this is not applying to anything now. Let's say that we want to colonize space. so just Which we kind of do. Yeah, yeah, spread out from Earth, go into space, and, Mm -hmm. and live there indefinitely. Yeah. All the things we've mentioned already will matter a lot, but it will really start to matter when we want to introduce the next generation. Yeah. How how do we re- reproduce in space? And that's not merely just like a mechanical problem. I mean, it's like a biological issue. Mm-hmm. There are serious questions about what happens when mammals try to conceive and and just and grow a baby. Yeah. In a microgravity environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, let, let alone all of the other radiation and, and other issues that there are with being in space. But, yeah, we it's such a huge issue that we did a whole two podcasts about it. They published on February 12th and 14th of 2014 and were called Babies in Space Inconceivable. Get it? It's kind <laughs> of a pun about conception. Um Sorry. I think that one was more about radiation. And then the second one was about microgravity. Right? right, right. Yeah, the second one was called Babies in Space. That's heavy because mi- mi- microgravity. Well, it, it is heavy because there are uh, some studies to suggest that it, it really might be a bad idea trying to conceive in space, right? Uh, so there's something about uh, intercellular protein transfer. Right. There's a few issues that we that we know are at play. Um, there, there's evidence in both plant cells and fruit flies that microgravity could disrupt intracellular protein transfer um, in in fruit flies that were developed in space. This led to a much weakened immune system, which is actually really significant to human beings because we, along with lots of other mammals, share a similar immune system to fruit flies, especially when it comes to fungal resistance. Oh, yeah. So what this means is that um, that there's a possibility that if you have a baby in space, it will die of a terrible fungal infection. That's 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 not good. We need to work on that kind of thing. Um, there was also in, in simulations of microgravity on Earth with mice, the babies produced were normal. So that's cool. But um, but fewer embryos made it to birth than usual. Oh, yeah. There were also studies with jellyfish, remember? Oh, right. Yeah. So they took some jellyfish up in a space shuttle flight, Aurelia arita, mm-hmm. moon, jellies. moon jellies. Mm-hmm. And these jellyfish underwent strobilation. 
during the procedure. So the, Stro- that's, strobilation remind right. me of what that what that's that was. Where the polyp separates into the ephorae, which is like a larva. And they did that before and after launch. And so there was a study published on this in 1994, and they studied what happened to the jellyfish after they spent nine days aboard the space shuttle during the larval and polyp stages. And then they were returned to Earth. So jellyfish have graviceptors, which are these little hairy pockets that contain calcium sulfate crystals that help them orient their bodies with respect to Earth's gravity. So uh, again, them. sort of like the inner ear thing that we've got, where we've got you know tiny receptors and fluid and everything working together. Well, except this is a crystal mechanism, yeah. not a fluid mechanism. But right, and the study found that the jellyfish they developed pretty much normally, like their bodies looked normal. They they were quote morphologically very similar. I think that just means they it looked like a jellyfish. Yeah, they looked pretty much normal. But they had uh, pulsing abnormalities, which difficulty moving, right? Because huh. uh-huh. the jellyfish pulses. Oh, right, sure, in order to swim, swim in quotation marks. And then there was a, a follow-up study the same year that basically confirmed that something wasn't working right with their movement. So so even though they, they looked fine, just something was off. Yeah, and we should take that very seriously because... As as sad as it is to make jellyfish that have pulsing abnormalities, we really wouldn't want to subject a human baby oh. to that. I mean, assuming that, that something didn't go wrong even before that point, if a baby was born after being conceived in space, we just don't know what would happen to it. Mm-hmm. And and that is a really scary, deep-level trial to to undertake. We don't want to just willy-nilly dive into that sort of thing. Right. So I hope we've made the case now that there is a really, really pressing need for artificial gravity. Like, it's a big deal if we actually want to do things in space. Mm-hmm. It's not just kind of a convenience. It matters a lot. Uh, sure, sure. It's it's not just for strutting through the hallways uh, like like Riker looking all looking all cool. Right. It's really that's important, important too. Well, <laughs> different different levels of importance. But unfortunately, uh, unlike in the movies, wherein. It's just kind of assumed, I think, that, that, oh, in the future, we'll have worked out this artificial gravity thing and we don't even really need to talk about it that much. Yeah, usually what you see in the movies is it's modeled on something that would normally work within Earth's atmosphere. So like an airplane or something where there's just a floor, a hallway and mm-hmm. seats. Or, or, or a deck, you know, even like a like a sailing ship. Yeah, and people just walk around on them. There uh, it seems to be an assumption that there maybe there's something underneath the floorboards that's creating the gravitational field that holds you there. So that's an interesting question. Do we have a way to create real gravity without having something with mass? And the answer is no. Yeah, that's that's not how gravity works. No. Uh, To create gravity, as far as we know, you need something with mass. Everything with mass creates gravity, but to have an appreciable amount of gravity that you could walk around on, you need a lot of mass. Uh, an appreciable amount of mass, right. I say something about the size of the Earth if you're going to have people walking around as though it is the Earth's gravity. Yeah, okay. So what if you said, like, well, what if we just got some kind of really, really dense material and put that underneath the floorboards of your spaceship so it would pull you down toward the floor? Yeah, nice idea. But first of all, what kind of dense material would that be? So if the spaceship's going to be of any manageable size, it sounds like you're proposing exotic as yet unknown material. That somehow don't decay as very dense material tends to do pretty quickly. Yeah, so that's basically just playing pretend. That's not a lot of help. So 
Second, what what if you create Earth gravity with real mass? How would you move your ship? Uh, right. <laughs> As the mass of your ship increases, you're essentially eliminating the difference between the ship and the planet you came from. So what's the point? Yeah. You, you might as well just move the Earth wherever you want to go. Yeah, it's it's not like it needs to be aerodynamic, so, you know. Uh, plowing a little bit deeper into people on the Internet and lazy science fiction writers, what about gravitons? Can't we just use gravitons to create gravity? Uh, well, we might if they weren't entirely hypothetical. Right. Maybe. I mean, we don't even know the thing. So gravitons are hypothetical particles. They are a hypothesis and they're predicted to mediate the force of gravity in what's called quantum field theory. So the same way that photons are the particle of electromagnetism, gravitons would be the equivalent massless particle that delivers the force of gravity. Uh, right. They're, they're really nice because they make math work out just fine in terms of what we have already theorized about the universe. However, we've never detected them. Right. Well, we don't even have a viable theory of quantum gravity yet. So right. please keep in mind that gravitons have never been observed in reality, thus they're Currently still considered hypothetical, like we said, they're consistent with some popular theories like super string theory, but there's no direct evidence that these things exist. In the words of the American particle physicist Don Lincoln, quote, at the moment, gravitons are entirely theoretical constructs that delicately walk the knife edge precipice between the domains of scientific respectability and the shady world of hand waving. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I think the hand waving he's invoking there is, the, you know, the, the thing you stick in to make your equation work. Mm -hmm. Right. So furthermore, from what I can tell, the people who talk on the Internet about using gravitons to create artificial gravity are not physicists. And even if we were to discover the existence of gravitons, I don't really see how they would help us generate gravity without mass. Well, you just have a graviton drive. Yeah. Yeah. OK. No, I. I <laughs> I'm not buying that one. The bottom line is, if you want real gravity, you need mass. You need a lot of mass. Uh, but can we simulate gravity? There's the ticket. So we can't have real gravity without mass, but we can simulate gravity because we feel the effects of gravity as a pushing interaction between ourselves and the ground. So the force of gravity can be represented as your tendency to accelerate toward the ground at 9.8 meters per second per second. Uh, and we can accelerate stuff like, whoa. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, of course, the other part of it is that the ground is pushing back against you. Otherwise, you're just in free fall again. Right. So there's more than one way to create a pushing interaction like this. How about linear acceleration? So that's that's like if you're in a if you're in a car or in an airplane running down the runway. Yeah. OK. So, Lauren, you've been in an airplane taking off. Sure. You know, when they ramp up the speed going down the runway and they're about to take off the ground. How do you feel in relationship to your chair? Uh, you get kind of pressed back into it. Right. So because there's massive forward acceleration, you feel the force pulling you backward. And there's something there to stop you. Mm -hmm. Your chair. You're pinned to the back of your seat. So if you were to get up during takeoff, you'd feel yourself pulled toward the back of the plane. So what if we built a spacecraft where the floor was the interior aft of the spacecraft? So the place back in the plane where they keep all the goodies and the toilets and, and a flight attendant sitting there uh -huh. <laughs> chatting with their buddies about how annoying the passengers are. That could work, right? Sure. So there's a spacecraft traveling in a straight line. Now imagine the interior of the spacecraft is a single room. 
the floor of that room is the aft of the of the spacecraft, the stern, uh, the, the place in the back. Mm-hmm. And the ceiling is the bow, the nose. You would feel the forces of motion pushing you down toward the ground. And if you accelerated at just the right rate, you could produce the sensation of 1G, 1 Earth gravity. This is actually doable, and the only problem would be designing the spacecraft and how you're going to continue to accelerate at the proper rate continuously. Uh, right, and I guess kind of without stopping or with having everything nailed down appropriately or etc. Right. It's, it might well be a strain on fuel or energy reserves because, or, remember, we're talking about an acceleration, not just movement. Uh, sure. Or you might, you know, want to stop eventually. Oh, yeah. And then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that's proposed is if you're going to your destination, you accelerate at a constant rate that uh, produces this force halfway there. And then you turn around and decelerate at the same rate huh. yeah. after the halfway point. That could work. Sure. But I've got a better one if you're trying to design, say, something like a space station. Okay, lay it on me. How about rotational force? So you have a rotating object. Okay, yeah, sure. Have you ever gotten in one of those carnival rides where there's a big wheel and everybody goes into a cage along the inner surface of the wheel and then it starts whirling around really fast in the air? And if you try to lift your arms up off the outside edge of the cage, it's really hard. You can't do it without a lot of effort. I I have been on one. I try not to after that first experience. (laughs) I did not enjoy it. Because if someone, uh, you know, becomes a little motion sick and and empties the contents of their stomach onto the ride, it gets whirled around on everybody. And sticks to the wall like you. Yeah. 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 Uh, So this is essentially the type of force we're talking about. It's. When you have a rotating object, there's a force that pulls outward from the axis of rotation. Mm -hmm. It's the same reason that if you hold a bucket of water in your hand and you whirl it around really fast, even at the point in the windmill you're making with your arm where the bucket is upside down, the water doesn't fall out of the bucket. Mm -hmm. And that's because of the force you've created by spinning it around the axis of rotation, which in this case would be your shoulder. Sure. So that's essentially the concept behind a rotating space station for artificial gravity. So let's try to picture this. Imagine a space station in the shape of a torus, which is a... A donut. Yeah, a hollow donut. Sure. Uh, so from inside, the cabin would be kind of like a tunnel. It's a tunnel that goes all the way around and loops back on itself. And you're floating along. And what happens in this tunnel once the space station starts to spin like a wheel around the donut hole? Well, all of the contents of the tunnel, including the air and your body, feel a force pulling them out away from the axis of rotation, like we were just talking about. But once you hit the floor of the tunnel, which is the outside surface of the torus, there's this structure pushing back against you, just like the ground on Earth pushes back against you to react to the force of gravity pulling you toward the center of the Earth. Uh, so so your floor is, is that outer wall and your ceiling is the inner wall. That's exactly right. Or here's another cool idea for a spinning artificial gravity station. What about a capsule tethered to a counterweight? So, for example, like if, if you've got two two hollow containers on either side of a string, you know, it's sort of like what are those things that people throw at each other in movies? I don't know oh, what they're the, called. Like a bolus? Yeah, or... yeah, a bolus kind of thing. Um, they're in video games, too. Sure, sure. But but if you if, if you had one of those critters and uh, except giant enough to stand in and then your your floor in either capsule would be the the point furthest away from that 
from that center of rotation. Right. It'd be the outside of the containers, mm-hmm. the opposite of the side where the string is attached. Right. Uh, so then you could just have like rooms that rotate with relationship to each other. So why don't we have anything like this? Well, there's really no reason we couldn't start building one of these today. As far as I know, I, I can't see that there's any missing puzzle piece Certainly technologically. No. Oh, right. There's no mathematical reason. Um, I think it's all about the the money right. and the resources involved. That's exactly right. It would require a massive, massive investment of money and human resources. And why is that? Well, so imagine you're in one of these spinning stations How do you generate enough force to simulate Earth's gravity? The force you generate is going to be a product of the radius of the station, so how far it is from the center of rotation to the floor, Mm -hmm. and how fast it's spinning. you got to multiply those things together. So you could have a small station that's spinning really, really fast, and that is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's really something you don't want. Yeah, you're you're also running back into those those motion sickness, I imagine, kind of areas at a certain point. Yeah, well, one thing I've read is that physicists talk about how this would entail that because your head is a much more significant fraction closer to the center of rotation than your feet are, if it's uh, not a very big radius, you would feel a lot more gravity at your feet than you would at your head. Oh, I don't want that at all. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> so you can only imagine the kind of weird. <laughs> I, actually, I can't even imagine what that would no, feel like. It just I... seems like it would be very unpleasant, kind of a nightmare. Yeah. Um. So so small is hard. Um, and big is also hard for money purposes. Right. Big is the way to go if you're going to build one of these things. You can spin it much slower if you have a longer angle or if you have a longer radius. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how big does it have to be? Well, it needs to be really big, like bigger than a football field. Oof. Uh, how are you going to get that much material into space? Very expensively. Right. Because we couldn't just build it on the surface of the Earth and launch it up. I mean, that would be expensive enough to begin with. But the things we build in space generally can't withstand the stress of a rocket launch. Uh, Especially if they are not built for being launched, if they're built, for example, for spitting around themselves really effectively. Right. So we we built like we built the ISS piece by piece in space. Mm -hmm. And that works fine because there's no air resistance in space. I mean, that works but you'd need to have strong materials to have something like this because there'd be a lot of stress on it if it's spinning. Mm-hmm. Co- continually, right? Sure. Right. Uh, it's just a really hard job. It would mean lots and lots of space launches, taking lots and lots of really heavy materials into space, building the thing in space, which is dangerous and expensive. It, it's basically just a really huge project, and that's the reason we don't have it. Right. And and granted, that project might become very worthwhile in uh, the next 20 to 50 years or whenever it is um, yeah. when, when we decide that, that space travel, long term space travel is for serious. Oh, I already think this is a very worthwhile project. It's just, you know, where are you going to get the money? Sure. Uh, I, I don't have it. Noel, do you have the money? He's shaking his head. Yeah. No. Well. So I guess that's it for artificial gravity for now. We love the idea. It's really important for our future, but it's a massive investment. So if you want to go listen to some of those Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about how we need to invest more 
in space exploration and in NASA and in the kinds of technologies that we need to sustain our future beyond the planet Earth, I recommend it. Yeah. That about wraps it up for today. Uh, yes. So um, if you would like to hear more from us or perhaps watch some videos or read some excellent blog posts, you can find all of that at our website, which is fwthinking.com. If you would like to get in touch with us, if perhaps you have a question about anything that we've said today or a topic suggestion for something that you would like to hear from us in the future, then please do let us know. We would absolutely love to hear from you. You can email us at fwthinking at discovery.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Google+, or all three if you really want to spam us. <laughs> we, we would enjoy it, where our handle is FWThinking. So uh, thank you for tuning in, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 